1: Good morning everyone please at the end of this reading i would say this is the word of the lord um i'd like to hear a resounding thanks be to god our reading is taken from colossians chapter three from verses one to four and then from verses 18 to 19 colossians 3 1 to 4 then verses 18 to 19 i read since then you have been raised with christ Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Tedu. And um, if I can get this sorted, there we are. All right. Good morning again. Nice to see us all, and particularly if you're here for the first time, or if you've not worshipped us in a long time, we're very happy to see you. My name is Femi. Um, We've been going through the book of Colossians, which from beginning, and we're going to go to the end, and um, one of the things we said was that the first two chapters of Colossians, especially uh, if you've not been following us, is that the first two chapters give us a foundation for who Christians are. It gives us, if you like, a theology of the person of Jesus Christ, um, who he is, what he has done. And that's what you have in the first four verses of chapter 3. It really summarizes what it had, uh, what Paul, the writer, had been saying in the first two chapters. So verses 1 to 4 that Tedo read for us summarizes chapters 1 to 2. Now, after that, he then starts to say, this whole, this Jesus Christ and all he's done, it has, it has um, in, an impact in your community life as a church. It has an impact in your marital life. It has an impact in your parenting. It has an impact in your work. And that's what he starts trying to apply to us in chapters 3 and chapters 4. So last week, we started to look at how um, it affects our marriage. We came to this controversial passage of wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives. Now, some of the things we said was that, or the main thing we said was that, These two verses are meant to address us in our sameness and our difference. In our sameness and our difference. What it's saying is that husbands and wives should live for each other, sameness, but it's going to be applied differently, difference. And that's reflective. This sameness and difference uh, tension is reflective of Who we are as human beings in our creation, the sin's effect on us, and how we should emulate Christ. We are created as human beings, sameness. But we are created male and female, difference. We've been affected by sin, equally, sameness. But men towards domination and women towards manipulation, difference. We've been called to emulate Christ, sameness. But husbands through? his sacrificial love, difference, and wives through humble submission, sorry, husbands through the sacrificial love and wives through humble submission, difference. Now, I don't want to give an extended uh, introduction because we have a lot to say this today. But um, this week, we're continuing with that. We're still on that same passage. Uh, We titled it Rearranged Marriage, and since as Emmanuel said in his last sermon, we are very creative in our sermon team. I have titled this, "Rearranged Marriage 2. Right? Now, what we want to do is to consider how this passage affects. How can we leave it out, really? How do we leave it out? Now, I should say there are people here who are not yet married, and I want you how does this apply to me? It does. One, because some of you do want to get married, right? And some of you will get married. And even if you don't get married, it still has dynamics. The dynamics that work here work in normal human relationships as well, even though more intensified. So I want all of us to um, listen as we go. So we'll look at it in three, in three um, sections. The first is the purpose of rearranged marriages. The second is the expression of rearranged marriages. And then the third is the power of rearranged marriages. The purpose of rearranged marriages, the expression of rearranged marriages and the power of rearranged marriages. So let's start with the first, the purpose of rearranged marriages. Quite often, the question that people ask is, how is your marriage? Can I change that question? It will be, um, that question will be embedded in another question I think we should be asking more often. Where is your marriage going? But what's the purpose of your marriage? I think many people actually don't answer that question. They may be able to give you an answer immediately, but does this really affect your marriage? Because what we are saying here is that marriage actually should have a destination, it should have a mission. So, where is your marriage going? What is the purpose of your marriage? For some people, and I'm not talking about what they will say with their mouths, but quite often what they just live out in their lives, their marriage is Oh, with one person, I had this kind of income, but if two of us come together, we can have this amount of an income. Because, you know, disposable, if, if you are single, you rent your own house. And that money, the money that comes from you, will go towards the rent. But if you are married, both of you are not going to rent two houses. It's one house, but both your incomes come, so your disposable income goes higher. And that enables you to go for holidays. Um, it enables you to send your children to the schools you want. Some people, actually, their marriage is about their children. It's all about their children. You know, trying to raise godly seed, but really it's about raising very equipped, equipped seeds that can take care of in your retirement, you know? Um, and so some people just about their love, love for each other. It's so that our love can grow more and more and more. Now, don't get me wrong. None of these things I have said now are actually bad. But the Bible actually says, no, there's a deeper call. There's a deeper reason for our marriage. Can we open to um, Romans chapter 8 and just hold it there. The reason why I say this is, like, when God created Adam and Eve and he brought them together as a married couple, notice one thing God did. It says God blessed them, but he blessed them for a particular reason. And you could see the reason he blessed them. He blessed them for a mission. It says God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful. So the blessing was for them to be fruitful, to multiply, uh, to, uh, to be fruitful, to fill the earth. And what should they do? They should subdue the earth. In other words, God blessed them because he was commissioning them. God blessed them because they were starting from point A, but God was trying to take them to point B. Amen. Amen. And it's for that reason that God said, so shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be united with his wife. In other words, unity is a prerequisite for the success of a mission. Unity was a prerequisite for the success of a mission. God wanted to take humanity somewhere, and so he said, let me bring these two complementary human beings together. If they are united, they will be able to get to that destination I want them to go. And so in that regard, our marriage always, the unity, has to bring about a mission. This interrelationship we're talking about in verse 18 to 19 is because we are meant to go somewhere. Now we know that man fell, Jesus Christ came, and now that mission has been expanded, if you like, or. not redefined, but repurposed in light of what has happened in sin and what has happened in Christ. And that comes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's a very famous passage. Let's read it. Verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called or who are the called according to his purpose. You see that? Purpose. Purpose. When God calls in Christ, it's because he's taking you for, he's taking you, he's, he's proposed a life for you. He's taking you somewhere. And it now says that for him to take you to that place, he's working all things out for that good. I'll say that again. For God to take you to the place he wants you to go, he works out all things in your life for the good of achieving that purpose. What's that good? Does Enkechi have her own good? Does Emmanuel have his own good? Does the I have her own good? Actually, no. The good for all Christians is one. And you don't have to search anywhere else. You can find it in the next verse. What does he say? For those God foreknew, he also predestined. So you can see purpose and destination. For those called according to his purpose, he predestined. That is, there was a destination he was taking them to. And where is that destination? He says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he may, where are we going? We are being conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, The all things that work together for your good, whether there is evil in our lives, whether there is good in our lives, whether we are suffering at this particular time, whether we are actually living victoriously in this particular life, if we will see, all those things can work together for the good of the purpose of God, which is to bring us to conformity with Christ, his Son. Now, Can I say, then, if you are married, Marriage is assumed under that all things that work together. The all things also is marriage. The all things that is trying to work for the purpose of eternity. This is what Paul then writes in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a parallel passage to this one. He says, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know, you cannot go to, if you want to go to um, uh, Abba, for instance, Now we're in Lagos, and then there is Abba. How would you get to Abba? If If you are not flying, not flying, how do you get to Abba? Port Harcourt, you pushman. Is it so? You oh, you fly to Port Harcourt, <laughs> then you now drive to. You see, you take uh, is it East West? No, not East West Road. Port to Aba Road now. Aba, you didn't know. You didn't know. But if you are taking road from here, you would go to. You go through Lagos, Ibadan, then you will turn. No, who said already. You see. Eh? Be- start going towards Benin, then. Get to one each. Other. Exactly, it's not Ore. <laughs> uh, I did. I I meant that you don't stay at Ore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they say, Pastor, <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ore road is really bad. It's been so. I was just trying. But notice what happened. From A to B, you assume that there is a journey. If you want to, if you want to go to B and you're at A, there's always a journey. If you are trying to get to the the B destination of being conformed to the image of Christ, and you are not yet fully conformed to the image of Christ, there is a journey. Now, in marriage, as you go through that journey, you are going to assume a particular destiny, a particular identity. The journey reveals who we are. If our marriage is going to help us to be conformed to the image of Christ, I want to ask you, what is your identity in that journey? Because there are two identities that you must not assume. Identity one is the rescuer, and identity two is the bystander. If you are in marriage and you are trying to get your spouse to be in the image of Christ, most of us always fit into one of these in the journey. The rescuer, the rescuer believes in uniformity. So, their spouse is never good enough. The, re- the bystander believes in compatibility, which is don't change me. You know, some people say before they get married, I'm looking for that person who is compatible with me. You know what that means? They say, This is who I am. Oh. When you married me, this is what you meant me to be. I am not going to change. How many of us have heard this kind of uh, this declaration? I am not going to change in marriage. He said, he, he said it and he's leaving it out. I am not going to change. So I'm looking for someone who is my neighboring jigsaw. You know what I mean by neighboring jigsaw, right? You know, as a jigsaw, you have this hole, but you have this one, and you're looking for the one that is next to it so that I wouldn't change. That is the bystander. Now, some of us here are rescuers, and some of us here are bystanders. Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to know who you are? Well, because you do, I will give you some characteristics. All right. For the rescuer and the bystander, the rescuer is always correcting, the bystander never corrects. The rescuer, why did you put the slippers there? No, I you shouldn't put the slippers. I didn't know, I wasn't thinking about it. Why weren't you thinking about it? This is the problem I'm saying. So now you've moved from the slippers should not be there to why were you thinking, why were you not thinking that the slippers should not be there? Okay, Oda, I'll remove it. All right, tomorrow. Itunu. <laughs> Itunu. <laughs> so Itunu rushes upstairs. Like, ha, what happened? What happened? Why are the sleepers here again? <laughs> what did I? And you're like, is it because of the sleepers always correcting everything? You didn't put the plate right. This food wasn't cooked well. The TV was left on. The AC was this. But even more importantly, oh, am I talking about your house? Ah. Well, (laughs) I have this gift. They call it prophecy. It speaks directly to some people. Always correcting every part because you're trying to rescue the person from something. God has sent me into your life to rescue you. But the other one, the bystander is, since we are all, I, I wanted someone that would be compatible with me. You have your flaws. Me, I have my own flaws. So don't correct me because, and this is what the, the, res, the bystander normally says. When the rescuer says, why is these slippers here? Like when you, you left the cupboard open, did that come and, did that come and do anything to you? Like how does that affect the slippers here? Let's leave the cupboard. You should, have, you should have confronted me when it was the cupboard. Let us deal with this one. The next. The rescuer is always using themselves as an example. And the bystander is unable to ever use themselves as an example. Have you ever heard if you are married? If it's me, oh, I will not do this thing. I'm just saying. You see, anybody can do it. Nobody is perfect. Me, I will never. I have never, ever. You know when they say, where are your keys? Where are the car keys? I'm not sure where I put them. This is my, this is my problem with you. Because you see, me, I'm a planner. I always put my khakis in my right pocket. Why can't you? I don't have pockets. Women don't wear just a pocket. Then hold it in your handbag. Because if it's me, I would have thought about it. Every time. I don't like these people. They don't think. You see, me, I, you know, there are things that are, anything that um, um, uh, puts me in a difficult position, I don't get myself into it. They're always making themselves the point of reference. Whereas the bystander is unable to ever use themselves as an example. Ah, no, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm humble. Humble people don't, you know, ah, you're such a wonderful husband. Ah, no, I'm not, it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> third, third one, they are never Ever able to compliment their spouse, the rescuers, and the bystanders are never ever able to compliment themselves. The, the, the rescuer, if the spouse does something, does something good. For them, you are exp- it's what you are meant to do. Shebe Jesus said that if a servant, um, if a servant has worked. And then he comes back from the field to the master. Is the master going to say, well done? He's just done what he's meant to do. And I am your master. You are my servant. So you've done what is right. They never are able to give an extra compliment, never able to praise the spouse for something they've done. In fact, when the spouse, when somebody comes to their house and says something about how the house is so beautiful, how it's so well arranged, ah. uh The person that did this thing, that one will come and say, yes, so ah, but we thank God for the money that was brought to be able to buy all these things. They will not only not give their spouse compliments, they would always find a way of, even that compliment, the thing that the spouse deserves, they will find a way to show that underneath it, derivatively, it has to do with them. Whereas the other one, they are never able to compliment themselves. Again. The bystander likes to deflect things, likes to not take responsibility for the good, because they're avoiding taking responsibility for the bad. So the best way to protect yourself is to continue to deflect all the time. Four, they are frustrated. The rescuers are frustrated, and therefore, tries even harder to change the spouse because they're always criticizing them, because they're never good enough, at some point, they be like, maybe the problem is that I am not saying it enough. So it's now no longer don't put your slippers here. It's as you are coming from the bathroom, before you actually put, it's like, remember when you are coming home, don't take this side, come to this other side, because you always leave your slippers there. You're like, I've not tried hard enough. Maybe I have not shouted well enough, and so they start screaming more, and they, con- they start micromanaging even more. Whereas the bystander is frustrated of trying t- for too long, and so they just give up. I tried once or twice. I'm not doing again. And they just give up. And finally, and this is probably the most indicting, the most damning. If you are trying to say that you want to take people you want to see people chained to the image of Christ, question is this. For the rescuers, how often do you pray for your spouse? For the bystanders, how often do you pray for your spouse? Both personally and together, collectively. You see, the, by, the, the rescuer doesn't pray for their spouse because they believe that really they are the ultimate rescuers. It is what they say to their spouse that is meant to change them. So they don't pray for them. They can pray for other people, but they don't personally pray for their spouses. The rest, the bystander, on the other hand, hardly prays for their spouses because they are exhausted in doing so, or they never even began trying. After all, we are compatible. What do they what kind of change do they need? Now I'll say this that. We may think we know the destination of where we are going, but many times, the journey, even though we think we are going to Abba, by the time we get to Ore, we end up going to Ondo, and we want to go to Ikiti. And you realize, why am I there and I'm not in Abba? You took a wrong turn, because your identity was wrong. Actually, if we follow this thing properly, if you notice in verses, Twenty-nine to thirty. Let's go back to Romans eight quickly. He says, "For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son." Or maybe I should read it again. For those God foreknew, He uh, for those God foreknew, you predestined to conform to the image of His Son. Who predestined? And after that, he says. For those he he who predestined is the one who what called. For those he predestined he called. For those he called he justified. For those he justified he what? You see, when he says he glorified, that's the end. He glorifies. Eventually, glorification is the conformity to the image of the Son. But notice who foreknew. Who predestined? Who called? Who justified? Who glorifies? In other words, who does all the changes? Not you. And yet, God is the one that brought you together. So there's an identity we are meant to assume. And that identity is is to be a partner. To be a partner. Not a rescuer. Not a bystander. You see, the rescuer believes in uniformity, you must do it my way. The bystander believes in compatibility, don't change me. But the partner believes in conformity. Neither of us are like Jesus Christ, but with God's help, we can get there. He believes in conformity. So how would a partner handle some of the things that we spoke about? Let's look at that. So rather than always correcting or never corrects, the partner corrects with patience to persuade, not to vent. Sometimes when we correct, the anger that comes out, the impatience that comes out, is because we've been irritated for too long. It is not directed at really changing that person or correcting that person. Because if you really wanted to correct that person, you know that persuasion is the most important thing. And so how the thing comes out is really important. But that lack of frustration or that lack of irritability comes as a result of patience. Knowing that it is not you who is doing the work, it is God that is doing the work, and so you are submissive to God's timing. And so you correct with love and with patience. You don't say, don't correct me. No, because you know there is a journey. This person isn't perfect. This person should get somewhere. And you don't say, I will not say anything, because God has put you there But at the same time, you know that you are not the one ultimately doing the correcting. And so you are not the one that sets the timetable. It is God. Second, that person will always point to Jesus as the ultimate example without shying away from using themselves occasionally. Remember, the destination is to be conformed to the image of who? And so Christ is their ultimate example. Now, you don't shy away from using yourself occasionally, humbly, because both of us are on that journey. Christ may be more formed in the husband in a particular area, and Christ may be more formed in the wife in a particular area. Uh, babes, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you go? Why don't you read this book? I know it was really helpful for me. Rather than, ah uh now, as Christians, should we be doing that? Shouldn't you know this by now? You try to help the person. But you do so by pointing them to Christ. I should rush. Third, ah, this one is important. Compliment spouses at every possible opportunity for their growth in godliness. I have to learn this one myself. Because my wife, may. Say I don't, I'm not quite sure whether this is true. But she may say that in the early part of our marriage, I was sort of a rescuer, right? No, pastors are never known to be rescuers, right? right? We, have a rescu- we don't have a rescuer complex. But really, that was the point. And what I found out in myself was that I was more emphas—I was emphasizing more in our relationship. I was emphasizing what she wasn't doing rather than complimenting what she was doing. Many times, rescuers, you, we put on lenses where we, all we see, we filter out any good that anybody can do. And all we will see is the flaws of the person. And so we are waiting for the next floor to come out. We're waiting for the next floor to come out. It doesn't matter if before that, next, that floor, there were 10 instances of doing good. Look, let me tell you something. The fact that somebody maintains doing good itself is commendable. It's one thing to do good. It's another thing to be consistent in doing good. And when we do not compliment that, we are not appreciative of that person. If you are the kind of person that compliments your spouse more often than critiquing them, Guess what you do? You earn the right to critique them. If they come out and say, ah, you're always criticizing, ah, ah, no, but you know most of the time, I always compliment you. Is it that I, can't, I don't have the right now to be able to say what is wrong? And the person will think, you know, it's true. Even if the things that you're pointing to are actually legitimate, if you keep piling on, piling on, criticism over criticism over criticisms. The person starts to hear something else. Not the thing you are criticizing. The person just starts to hear a critic of them. But if you have built the habit of complimenting, when the criticism comes, they will open their two ears to you. Spouses, for every one criticism you bring to your spouse, let it be after nine compliments. If you say, no, they don't have, start looking for it. You say, you don't know my my husband. I am sure he's bad, but I'm sure they're good things, right? At least he has driven you home, and you didn't have an accident. (laughs) It's not bad. They're They're terrible husbands. (laughs) I'm serious. I've entered the cards of some people in this this church. I wonder how they make it home every night. (laughs) But look for something good. Four, they are encouraged to play their own part in seeing God change their spouse for as long as it takes. Frustration comes when you do not get what you want, and when you want it. But if you know that when the timing is up to God and not you, you are encouraged to keep playing your own part. And finally, and most most importantly, they constantly pray for their spouse with humble knowledge that they too are in need of prayer. Let the lens of criticism focus more on yourself and less on your spouse. If you do so, you will pray for your spouse. You will pray for yourself. We, too, are all in need of prayer. So let's assume in our marriages, let us assume the identity of a partner. Knowing this, God has put you in that marriage to see your spouse conformed into the image of God. You know what will happen on the final day? If you are that spouse that was a partner, on the final day when Christ returns, and he has perfected our spouse, Elijah will say to Victoria, you know, I always knew you could have been like this. When we were married in, before eternity, I saw flashes of this kind of brilliance. And I thank God now that that brilliance it no longer comes as flashes, it's who you are, and I thank God that I could play a small part in that. So don't forget, in eternity, there is no marriage, which means marriage serves as a, an instrument, a preparatory instrument for a particular destination. Play your part in your spouse's role in seeing them come to that image. Amen? Amen. So then how is, if I'm a partner and I'm not a hindra? How does then that work out in this, wives submit your husbands, and husbands love your wives? And that brings me to my second point, the expression of rearranged marriages. I should say this. This thing, I know some of you are saying, just get to the point, get to the point. I want to know. Should we submit, should we not submit, and whatever. I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is a bit of a complex thing, and so just bear with me. Now, first of all, before we get into the um, the exactitudes of this thing. I should say this: when you look at those passages, a wife, uh, husbands and wives are first of all. You have to think about mutual, the mutual nature of these commands, but also the unique nature. A wife and a wife and husband are both meant to. They are mutually meant to submit to one another's gifts. They are mutually meant to submit to one another's gifts. That is. If Itunu is better than Femi at something, Femi should not say, I'm the head of the home, and so I must do it, and ruin the thing. Femi should submit to Itunu's better judgment in that thing. And Itunu should submit to Femi's gifting in a particular thing as well. There is mutual submission when it comes to gifts. Amen. But at the same time, this verse says that Itunu is meant to submit to Femi. It doesn't say mutual submission. In other words, there is another kind of submission that is meant to come from Itunu that is not required of Femi, or else these verses make no sense. The same thing about love. Itunu is meant to love Femi for the marriage to work. Femi is meant to love Itunu. They are mutually meant to love one another. In other passages of scripture, if you read the Songs of Solomon, the woman there is saying, My beloved is mine and I am my beloved. In other words, she loves that person. They are mutually meant to love one another. However, if these passages are to make sense, there is a kind of love that Femi is meant to have towards Itunu that is not required of Itunu. Amen. Now, we must be careful that in trying to emphasize our equality, our sameness, both equality in the the mutual submission, mutual love, that we don't discard these passages or relativize them, or make them redundant. They are actually saying something. So how do we get to that? So somebody may ask me now, all right, Fermi, I'm getting impatient now, so give us rules for rules. Who should do the dishes? Who should wife Tedo Abin? If you go to his house, he's the one that does all the dishes. You see, these people they just they can only just shout. But when you go back home, you'll be very, very tame. Susha, I didn't mean it now. Nah. Why are you doing like that? I can't even play with you again. Who should do the dishes, Tedo? Who should make more money? Does this mean I can't hang out with my guy friends again since my wife must now be my best friend? Does submission mean uh, Does submission mean my financially naive husband must handle our money? <laughs> <laughs> so so women want to look and say, "Amen." <laughs> <laughs> now I want to add three caveats, and particularly on the word submission. And when you look at that passage where it says, "Wives submit yourselves to your." Husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. These three caveats will help us try and answer some of these questions. First thing to say, submission is not servitude. Submission is not servitude. If you notice, after this uh, wives and husbands thing, it then says, children, obey your parents. And it says the same thing about slaves. It is not insignificant that it does not say, wives, obey your husbands. It is not insignificant. Because submission is the voluntary laying down of choice in certain certain matters of an equal partner, which means, and don't forget it says, as is fitting to the Lord. As is fitting to the Lord. In other words, the wife's submission is primarily conditioned on submission to the Lord. Can I say this? A wife, if your husband tells you to do what is against your conscience because you think he's disobeying the Lord, not only can you disobey, you must disobey. Are you hearing me clearly? I've known many people who will say, ah, my husband doesn't want to go to church. He says that we should have church in the home. I don't want to divide anyone's marriage. But I want to ask them what they believe God is, has said they should do in the Bible. I said, I believe that God says we should go to church. Then you know what they now say. I said, so why don't you go? He say, I have to submit to my husband. That's not submission. And that is fitting to the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's two partners coming together. Both of them are equal. Both of them have responsibility of submission to the Lord. But in this united relationship, if it is to work out, They play different roles. Now, one of them submits, as is fitting to the Lord. But that person is not a servant. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this, and this one is really important. It's very, very funny. Here in Colossians, it wants to address marriage and all the complexities of marriage. (laughs) And you know marriage is very complex, right? I'm telling you for even from day one day two you would know marriage is very complex once you start living together as big an issue as marriage is how many verses does it ded- dedicate to marriage how many two and it just gives one one instruction submit and love all right let's move on to children so I'm gone what does this mean there is a very noisy, loud silence that is there, which means that even though these specific instructions are given and they should be universally applied all throughout all generations, they cannot be applied in the same way in different places, in different cultures, at different times. In built into these instructions is some level of flexibility. Because sometimes, some people will look, they'll go to someone's house, and the man is sitting down there, the wife is sitting down there, the, this guy comes in, ah, you know, ah, Ogwefi, how are you doing? Ah, well, I don't know. Well done, Mrs. Hey, Ogwefi, how are you? Now, wow, you two are calling me Ogwefi, and my friend, look how your wife is disrespecting me. And she even sat down when I came. She couldn't kneel down and greet me. Now, what has happened? In Ogwefi's household and how he was brought up, in some way, the expression of respect for the man, the woman has to, in some way, at least stand up, okay, welcome the man and all of that. That is how he, he now enters uh, Solomon's house, and Solomon and his wife, they are much more free with themselves. Here's what happens. Somebody from Solomon's kind of upbringing will say Agwafi's wife is a slave. So he now goes to interview wife's wife and says, are you happy with your husband? She says, I love my husband. Hey, but your husband, he treats you like, okay, slave, he, when he, you come, he has, when he comes back from work, you have to come, you have to go and meet him. She said, ah, I love to do that. If you know what he has done for me. If you know what he has done for my family, if you know he, saw, he sent my six siblings to school after my, my parents died. This man doesn't buy a pair of shoes for himself until he buys five for me. So what is the problem in me standing up and going to meet him outside? He says, you are in bondage. I said, you are the one that is in bondage. I said, leave me. I, I'm, I'm OK. But your wife is disrespectful to you. She must come. What is the problem there? Both of them have, have lived out this expression. They've seen it in, some, in, some, in, in a way that respects both their upbringing, the way they see life. They have both seen it in different ways. Be careful how you go into somebody's house and start to criticize something that you have no experience in. Amen? The Bible does give some flexibility Knowing that our cultures develop differently, knowing that our upbringing is different, those commands mean something, and we'll get to that. They mean something, but at the same time, there is flexibility. Finally, the third caveat: the submission or uh, the submission and humble love um, uh, dynamic, though it is given individually. Right, wives, husbands. And I would say it should be somewhat lived. You have a responsibility to do your own part, yes. But if your marriage is truly going to succeed and flourish, they have, there is also somewhat, um, there's, there's a kind of mutual uh, stimulation that they have for one another. That is, there is a way in which the wife's submission to the husband facilitates and stimulates the husband's sacrificial love for the wife. And there is a way the husband's sacrificial love for the wife itself does what? It stimulates the wife's humble submission to the husband. Amen? That is, if you are the kind of person who continues to abuse your wife in the name of submission, in the name of she should submit, submit, and you don't lay your life down for her, after a while, she would not. And I thank God that she doesn't submit to you. In other words, they are meant to work in a complementary way. They are meant to stimulate one another. A wife was basically saying, if my husband should say I should jump, I will ask him how high. Because of all the things that he's done for me, I have no doubt in my mind that this man will take a bullet for me. They are meant to work with one another. So, when we're applying into some of these questions, if you take these three caveats and you're applying into some of these questions, let us be careful of two extremes that we have in our culture today. The first one comes from traditional people, which is we give so much to cheap stereotypes. The second one comes from modern people, which is we are very culturally insensitive. Cheap stereotypes a, ma- a woman is meant to do this, and that is it. This is a woman's place. A woman's place, you know how they say, you know, they come on. No matter how many Pali you have gotten, no matter how many degrees you have gotten as a woman, a woman's place is where? Is it oh it's now the other room? Or is it the kitchen? No, let's not do that. So, you guys, this this is actual treason. You can't you can't make fun of it's it's treason us, right? It's treacherous. Don't do it again. All right, they will close down this church. So, please complete it. Don't forget that. No matter how many degrees the woman has, her place is where? In the kitchen. kitchen. It's only men that said, Samuel, you said it. Camilla, where are you? Okay, she's she's not here. (laughs) That's why. She's teaching the children. But that's a cheap stereotype. It's a cheap stereotype. And a stereotype that has caused so much abuse and the lack of flourishing of women. In the way God has created them. But on the other spectrum is cultural insensitivity. We are no longer in the Dark Ages. We are now in the 21st century. The 21st century, when we are more enlightened, when we don't look down, we don't look at women, uh, uh, the worth of women, uh, according to their body or according to how they look. Even though we have had an explosion of the sale of makeup. (laughs) 21st century, my foot, knowing that sometimes there are some cultural norms that should stay and are not harmful. Alright, so how do we answer this question? Quickly. So, if you ask me, who does the dishes? Applying all of this, who does the dishes? Here's my answer. Whoever likes it. Or whoever has more time to. Or whoever you both are comfortable with doing it based on your upbringing. Or You can even base it on a sharing formula. 60-40, 70-30, 50-50. What's the point? It depends on you guys. This passage doesn't necessarily speak to that. Work it out within what is comfortable with both of you. Sometimes the person that likes to do it may be the person that has a job. And so that person is not able to do it as much as they would like to. It may be the person who doesn't have a job at the moment that has to do most of it. Do we understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's not get into cheap stereotypes. Neither should we not be culture sensitive. All right. Who handles the money? <laughs> uh, okay. Who handles our money? Because both of it is our money. Who handles? You know they say now? When a man works, Is our money. When a woman works, it's her money. I bind that statement (laughs) in the name of Jesus. Calm down. (laughs) Who handles the money? The more competent, the more responsible, or you can have joint management. Work it out. I would advise this. In a healthy relationship, I'm speaking in a healthy relationship because many relationships are not healthy. In a healthy relationship, really, if both of you are earning, Or only one person is earning, it is our money. You can then decide from our money to have allowances, which is your own. But it is our money. But then, who manages it? The more competent, the more responsible. And then, or it can be joint management somehow. Finally, hanging out with friends. Can I not hang out with my guy friends again? I mean, my wife, they told me that my wife is meant to be my best friend. First of all, your wife doesn't have to be your best friend. But if it pleases your wife, tell her she's your best friend. Yes, you can still hang out with the guys, but it, is not, it cannot be the same way. You're no longer a single person. You can't just go out and come back when you want. So yes, you can, but not the same way. Or no, you can't, because some of those friends are not helpful for you in marriage. How do we answer these questions? If you are looking for a cheap, stereotypical, straightforward answer, or a culturally insensitive answer, the Bible is not there to help you. Neither must we stretch these passages to, be, to say, submit to me. Therefore, I must handle all the money. You must bring the money that you earn and put it at my feet. And I'll decide to give you whatever you want. Now somebody will say, OK, so what then is submission? Because it's still, it's still somewhat nebulous. I can't fully see how you define it. Let me tell you what I think is the ground zero for submission. Ground zero. That you cannot, none of us, if we are going to obey this passage, none of us can deviate from this. Because that does mean something. In, here's where it works out. In, submission is about accepting who has the casting vote on an important, well-debated, pressing situation. There's a decision, there's a situation in the house. Both of you have spoken about it. Both of you have debated it well. You have listened, both of you have listened to each other. You've tried to work it out as much as possible. But now you come to a situation where it's pressing and neither of you, you've not come to a situation where both of you agree. There is an impasse. If you get to that point, who has the casting vote? The head of the home, the man. And it is a huge responsibility, because if he misses it, a leader is held responsible for their successes and also their failures. Jesus was responsible for the guilt of our sin, and he's the head of the church. That's the ground zero. Now, I have to say this. In my my nine years plus uh, years of marriage, that has only happened I think about twice. I can only remember one, where I told my wife, woman, I am putting my foot down. <laughs> I won't lie to you, that day it felt good, <laughs> it felt very good. The way that foot stamped the floor. But it only happened once. Because if you live out your mutual submission, if you live out your mutual love, if you point to Christ as the example, you hardly have to get to that situation. What is ground zero of sacrificial love? What is Grand zero of sacrificial love? It's about who takes the pain in a situation that has to do, doesn't have to do with conscience, in a situation that doesn't have to do with conscience, but demands sacrifice by someone. A situation that doesn't have to do with conscience, demands sacrifice by someone, is going to pain both of you. Who takes the pain? I'll give you an example. This, some people say this is a secondary or tertiary issue. I take a very hard stance towards it. It's on birth, birth control. Now, there are some people, you get to a point where, you know, my wife often says that the best contraceptive is uh, school fees, all right? (laughs) Because they are skyrocketing. You get to a situation where both of you don't want to have any kids again. And there are some birth control uh, for me. Let's take the ones that ethically, we'll say that as Christians we can ethically approve. I do feel, I I strongly resent the fact that, I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody here if you are doing it, but I strongly resent the fact that all things being equal. There's a solution that men can have. There's a solution that women can have. The women's solution is far more painful, and it takes far more longer. It affects them far more in terms of their bodies and whatever, their hormones, all of those things. The men's solution is quick. It will pain you for about a week, and everything is sorted out. But by and large, most of the time, the woman is the one that has to take it. That makes no sense to me. Again, I say all things being equal. I'm not saying if the man has some kind of adverse health or whatever, but it makes no sense. And when the woman is, you know, because of this thing, many times her emotions go around wild and everything. i like, why are you so moody? Why are you so? you start be blaming her after she's taking the sacrificial pain for you. There's a reason why in old times it was men that went to war and women that stayed back at home. If you truly are the more powerful vessel, then why is it that you are sending your wives out to the war front there's something deeply wrong with that that's just one example in a situation that doesn't have to do with our conscience when it requires sacrifice but from one person who takes the pain sacrificial love can the men be men i pray we would all right finally i have well overspent my time but I kept telling my wife, "This is what's going to happen. Power of rearranged marriages. Let's run. If you want, if a train is to go from A to B, if a train is to go from A to B, the train needs a railroad track. The railroad track guides it to where it's meant to go, right? So let's say there was a, they went to go from Lagos to Port Harcourt. You have to build a railroad track that goes from railroad, uh, Lagos to Port Harcourt. Now, if you put the railroad track and you put the train, I say, "Thank God, oh your yeah, train go." But the train has no engine. Will it be able to get there? So the railroad track gives you guidance, but the engine gives you power. And last time we said that some of, to obey this command, we should look to Jesus. And that's important, that Jesus reflects submission for the wife in the gospel. Jesus reflects um, a sacrificial love for the husband in the gospel. But you say, ah, <laughs> so you're telling me to be like Jesus, the perfect one. That is too much pressure for me. It is not helpful. I can see what you're saying, but I cannot get there. I need power because I'm facing too much pressures of resistance. I have seen people who are abused, and I don't want to be abused. When all of my own mentors are saying to me, this biblical method doesn't work, what do I do? When my peers look at me as, because I am so, I'm, I'm, uh, you would say I should be loving my wife, they look at me as a woman rapper. Or because I'm being submissive um, as a wife, they look at me as selling out on the feminist sisterhood. It's one thing to give me an example, but I need power. And what about when my spouse is not playing their own role? I need more than advice. I need power to accept and obey. And I want to say that's very true. Because gospel guidance for it to work needs gospel power if we are to play our complementary roles and see our marriages flourish, we not only need Jesus as an example, we need God to give us power. How do we do that? I'll say this. The gospel that makes us understand these roles and not abuse them is the gospel that fuels us to work against the many pressures we face to disregard them. So what do you need? You need to fill your gospel tanks. As you see the gospel example, you need to fill your gospel tanks. I want to give you two very innovative ways to be able to fill your gospel tanks listen very closely first do not neglect you as a person do not neglect your personal devotion and communal devotion time innovative I mean. do not neglect your personal devotion and your communal devotion time if you are trying to strive on your own If you are trying to strive on your own, you will be like a branch. He just said that the branches that are not connected to me. I will throw them out. You will be like a branch on your own trying to produce fruit. You have to be connected to Christ. But how how are you going to be connected to Christ without prayer, without the study of his word? We can understand the gospel. That is like if I gave you Panadol. And not use the gospel. That's like if you don't swallow the Panadol. The way we get the power is by being connected to Christ. And we do that personally, and we do that communally. When we keep hearing the gospel, the Holy Spirit carries it and makes it the power of God unto salvation. And the second very innovative way is that you and your spouse must not neglect your devotional time together. I'm saying this, it's, it's, it's obviously non-revolutionary. But it seems like, especially when I counsel people, they come with different kinds of complex problems in their marriages. You keep giving them the same solution, but they don't want to apply that solution. I say, How, when last did you have your devotions? And it's been a while, but give us a solution. But you didn't even try the last solution. Can you not see that the enemy tries to make us run away from the simple solutions that God has given us so that we can constantly be filled with problems in our lives? And we run from pillar to post. We run to read one book. We run to one conference. We run to one seminar. Whereas the solution is right there. Read your Bible. Pray every day if you want to grow. It applies to your marriages as well. And God has given you benefits. You say, ah, it's not working individually. Go to church. Oh, it's not just working my own. When you do it with your spouse, once you are praying for a certain thing in your life that you are doing against your spouse, and your spouse can hear, you know what your spouse will do? Eventually one time, I wanted Tosin to change for something. I kept telling her, I kept telling her, she didn't change. You know what I started doing? When we meet together, I will pray for my own bad reaction about that thing. And I wasn't doing it to manipulate, but it was true. It was a kind of confessional prayer. When we read something in the Word, I, I would never apply it to her, I would apply it to myself. When I started to pray about those things, I noticed she started to pray about her own things we fill our lives with gospel power and we are on the gospel railroad track that is the example of Christ that is when you can love when not love because you are not depending solely on your spouse's love for sustenance rather you know that Christ's love is guaranteed to you in supply Jesus doesn't need your reciprocal love for him to give you his love when you feel Yourself, your gospel tank with gospel power, then you can submit to the Lord's arrangement in a decision that ultimately doesn't go your way, knowing that he to submitted to the Father's will, even though it was initially undesirable for him. When you fill your gospel tank with gospel power, then you can admit being wrong, since you are not ultimately condemned in that instance, because Christ has been condemned for you finally, when you fill your tank with gospel power, then you can receive critique since you don't fear your spouse's wrath like you do God's wrath. But God's wrath has been extinguished for you in Christ. If we do this, guys, those who are married and those who desire to be married, you'll be able to live out those two instructions in a way that will see your marriage flourish as you go towards the end, the journey, that is to be confirmed in the image of God.
1: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message.
0: To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.